Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Chad Cruiser. Before we begin this message, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your first book, which is Scripture, and your second book, which is Nature. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, that you would teach us more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, for years, scientists and researchers believed that the human brain was fixed. And what I mean by that is that they believed that the human brain could not be changed, meaning that once you hit a certain age, your brain was basically fixed and there was very little change that could take place. And if you think about that, you could come to many conclusions about life, about, you know, who you are, who you're going to be, based upon this kind of scientific understanding that the human mind, the human brain specifically, I should say, cannot be changed. So this was believed for some time. Now this is an antiquated idea. This is, this is not solid science, but it was believed to be so for many, many years. So you could imagine the ideas you could come up with. Like, well, I was born this way. This is who I am. These desires, these drives, these thoughts that I have are just who I am. So why even try to change? Why fight against you know, who I am. I should be true to myself. Well, the reality is now we know that the brain can be changed even into our elderly years, even into our older age. So the brain can be changed literally at any point in life. One particular study that gives us insight into the fact of the possibilities for change in the human brain was a study that was done in Spain in a blind school for teachers. And actually, the school was not for blind, uh, well, it's actually for teachers of blind students. So the teachers themselves are sighted, meaning they can see, but their students would not be able to. So they want to give these teachers an experience of what it would be like to be blind. Now, there's different kinds of blindness. There's what we call legal blindness, where someone has very poor eyesight. But there's another form of blindness that is complete blindness. And you think, oh, would it be dark? No. There's no sense of light. There's no sense of dark. They have no conception of what those different things are. That's complete blindness. And they wanted to give the, these teachers somewhat of an experience of blindness. And so what they did is they put a blindfold on their eyes, but they wanted it to be, to be so dense and so dark that no light could penetrate through their retina, through the optic nerve into the brain. And so they, they covered them up. And what they noticed, now typically, your brain, the rear portion of the brain called the occipital lobe, which has to do with ocular or your vision, the occipital lobe is where when you see the information ultimately is relayed to the back portion of the brain. Now, as they made it so dark that these people could not see, you would think, well, does the occipital lobe then just kind of rest and shut down? Well, what they discovered was that as these people had a blindfold so thick on their eyes for several days, actually within a day or two, these people began to have a heightened sense of hearing. 
very rapidly the hearing becomes more sensitive. And they could begin to discern different kinds of motorcycles from each other. And then as they would scan the brains of these teachers, they discovered that some of the sense of hearing would transfer from the temporal lobe. It would actually move from the side of the brain to the occipital lobe. So the area of the brain that was processing sight was now pr processing some of their ability to hear. And secondarily, the tactile sense, your sense of touch, began also to transfer into the occipital lobe. So meaning the, the portion of the brain that was devoted to seeing could now feel and it could hear. Meaning very rapidly the human brain can change, researchers have discovered. And the researchers call this change that takes place actually all the time in our brains, they call it plasticity, the changing of the brain. And Another study, how many of you have been to the city of London in England? Anybody been to London? Okay, a number of you. And London is a little different than New York City. New York City is a much newer city than London, and so it was a more planned out city in the sense that the streets are simply uh, parallel and perpendicular by and large, meaning it's just a grid. It's the, the traffic is atrocious, but it's easy to find your way around. Meaning it's, you know, you just, okay, it's on 4th Street and Park Place. Boom. You know, it's pretty easy. Whereas in places like, you know, London, the streets are very, very different. Probably because, you know, 900 years ago there was a farmer and he had a, uh, you know, a big rock in his field. And so the road went around the rock, right? And it just stuck that way ever since then. Or there was a tree over there and that tree may be gone, but the road went around the tree. And so uh, the roads there are much harder to, to be able to navigate. In order to become a, a cab driver, a taxi driver in London, historically what they'd have to do is they would have to take a test. The taxi driver uh, would have to take a test to prove that they knew enough of the road system in the city of London by memory. And so it was, you know, and it's, since it's quite complex, you realize these men and women had to have incredible maps literally memorized in their brains. So researchers, what they did is they went to these, these individuals and they scanned their brains and part of the brain that has to do with your memory is called the hippocampus. In the plural, it's the hippocampi. And they scanned the brains of London cab drivers. Now, the left side of your hippocampus, part of it has to do with your linguistic ability. And the right side, part of the right side of the hippocampus can have to do with your memory for spatial ability, for things that you look at and you retain them in your memory. What they discovered about London cab drivers is that their hippocampi are physically larger than your average person. Now that's fascinating. So there's basically one of two ways that we can account for this. Either these men were born destined to become London cab drivers. <laughs> or what they were thinking about actually changed the physical structure of their brains. Now, which of the two do you think it was? Yeah, it was the last one, right? It was the latter one. Meaning, what you think about can actually change the physical shape, the physical structure of your brain. 
Now, we're going to get back to this in just a moment. So what you think about, what you look at, what you focus on changes your brain, right? And our scripture reading this morning was Romans 12, verse 2, which says, And be not conformed, do not be conformed, meaning made into the form of. Do not be made into the form of the world. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. If we are going to be changed, we are transformed in our minds, right? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we're going to be changed, that change, that transformation, according to Scripture, would begin in the mind. Now, keep in mind that many researchers and scientists believed for decades that the brain could not be changed, and yet the Scripture had said all along that the mind could be changed, the brain could be changed. It can be transformed by the renewing of our minds based upon what we are thinking about. Now, scientists did another study on a certain type of monkey. And what they did was they came to this monkey and they scanned their brains and they looked at the motor cortex, the portion of the brain that has to do with your, you know, your, your you know, movement and so forth. And so they were looking at the, point, the pointer finger and the middle finger and they were looking where, they, where it fired in the brain when you moved your, you know, point, your pointer finger and your middle finger. And so they're looking at this, and they find a region in the motor cortex that would fire, just to give you a little illustration. So you move your, your pointer finger, and uh, a certain region in the brain fires. And directly next to that portion of your brain, uh, when you move your middle finger, that portion of the brain directly next to the pointer finger fires. So they're literally right next to each other in the brain, and they fire when you know, either the pointer finger or the middle finger is moved. So what the researchers did is they came and they sewed together. They literally sewed together those two fingers of the monkeys. So then those fingers could only what? Well, they could obviously only move together. They're, they're literally stuck together. So after some time, what the researchers did was they went and they scanned the brains of these monkeys again. And what they discovered was that those two portions, the pointer finger area and the middle finger area that would fire separately, when the two were stuck together and continued to move together, that those two went and they became one. So researchers came up with a phrase. They said that those things that fire together, wire together. Those things that fire together, wire together, right? Now, thinking about this, not just from, you know, sewing people's fingers together, but thinking about this from life in general, this makes sense. For instance, um, I grew up, you know, mom was a smoker, dad was a drinker. I had no interest in either of them. I had tasted alcohol as a young child. And the fascinating thing about alcohol and wine is they taste terrible, don't they? Nobody puts that to their mouth the first time and goes, man, that is just fantastic. Now, what happens is you get drunk enough and you start thinking, yeah, I kind of like that stuff, right? But the taste of it is horrid. I mean, it's, it's like rotten drink, right? But nevertheless, uh, so also with smoking, do children typically just, they smell someone smoking a cigarette and they go, oh, that's just such a wonderful smell. No, people don't like that smell. 
And so I didn't want to smoke, even though mom smoked, and then dad picked up the cigars and so forth. But nevertheless, so I didn't want to smoke, but my dad gave me my first cigar. And after that, you know, I did it because, you know, grandpa's over, uncles are over, the guys are there, and they give me my first cigar. And very rapidly, I became addicted to smoking. Now, here's the thing, though. When someone begins to smoke, so before that, if you've never had a cigarette in your life, and, and you're going through some stressful experience, do you ever think, man, I could go for a cigarette? Do you ever think that? If you've never had a cigarette, you never feel that way, do you? You don't even associate cigarettes with peace and, and feeling better. But once somebody, somebody you know, they, have, they get used to smoking, they begin to associate the little buzz, the little tiny, tiny buzz they have is feeling better. And so then they think, when I'm feeling bad, I want to feel better. And you begin to associate those two things together. You who've never smoked, if you never have, you know the two don't wire together in your brain, right? But somebody who becomes addicted to smoking, they associate some form of pleasure, some form of peace, some form of happiness with the cigarette. So those two things that are totally separate, like for instance, if you never smoked, smoking, when you think about it, is totally separate in your brain from peace and happiness and health and whatever, right? Totally separate. But someone who begins to smoke, they get to the point where they do it over and over and over and over. And those two things, the idea of happiness or peace or pleasure, begin to, they begin to wire together, right? The two become one inside of us. Now, smoking, not everybody's a smoker. Other people struggle with alcohol. Other people struggle with whatever sin it is. It could be greed. It could be pornography. It could be whatever. But the reality is, is what happens is these things, you know, somebody may literally turn on the computer and their thoughts immediately go to pornography or whatever it is. But what happens is those things that fire together, wire together. And here's the thing. What we don't think about often is that we think of sin as a spiritual problem only. And it is a spiritual problem, no question. But it is also a physiological problem. And what I mean by that is this, that as you, for instance, when, the first time I had a cigarette, I was not addicted. I wasn't yet the second time either, or probably the third. But what happened is, the more I did it over and over and over, it begins to burn a pathway in your brain that becomes physically a part of who you are. Does that make sense? So then when you try to quit, you're actually denying who you are, right? Because it's physically a part of your brain. It has been laid down in your brain. So when you try to quit that habit, it's so hard because it is literally physically a part of who you are. Right? So it's not just like, oh, I do it, I don't do it, it's spiritual. No, there's, yes, it's spiritual, but it's also physically connected to your very being, to your brain. And that's why overcoming sin, like anger problems, like jealousy, like lack of forgiveness... Like lust or whatever sin you, you, you may struggle with something I didn't mention and that's okay, but everybody knows what it is. The things that we struggle with become a part of who we are. So even though we may want to change them, it's, it's, it can be nearly impossible, nearly impossible to change these things because we say, well, it is, it's who I am. But the good news is God gave a way of escape. The Bible tells us. 
The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, in beginning in verse 22, it says, Paul said these words to the church in Ephesus. So how do we do it? It's, it's kind of an equation here. And it says in verse 22 that you put off concerning the former way of life. That you put off concerning, the King James says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. But that word conversation there in, in the original 1611 actually meant manner of life or way of living. So that you put away as concerning your former way of life, the old man, your old lifestyle, that grows corrupt after the lusts of deceit. So the first part of the equation is right here. It says, okay, you know you have maybe issues, temptations, sin, that's a part of your character, but we want you to put away the old lifestyle. Let go of the old former way of living. You let go of that. That's corrupt with its deceitful lust. So you put those things away. The trouble is, many times, I'm guessing many of us, probably all of us, I'm guessing, have at some point in our lives had something in our lives that we knew was not right. So we tried to shake it off, we tried to let it go, and we maybe stopped for a few hours or a few minutes or even a few days, but then, inevitably, many times we fall back into it even worse than before. Even worse than before. Because there's more to this Passage. there's more to this equation than just putting off the old lifestyle. It goes on to say that you put away, as concerning your former way of life, put that away, the old man that grows corrupt after the lusts of deceit, and the next portion of the equation is, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your, what? Mind. So the middle portion of the equation, the first part is, put off the old lifestyle. The middle portion is, now your mind has to be changed, right? That's what the text says, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Because if your mind has not been changed, you will be the same person as you were before. Does that make sense? You want to quit smoking. I'm not saying you're all smoking. I'm giving this as an illustration. But you want to quit smoking, but it's still a part of who you are. And, and if I, here's the thing. So if a smoker says they want to quit, and then... They're around people smoking, and then, and then they think, yeah, I shouldn't have a cigarette. No, I shouldn't have a cigarette. No, I shouldn't have a smoke. No, I really shouldn't have one, you know, and they begin to think back on all the times they smoke. Now, what are they thinking about? Cigarettes. You may remember the quotation that says, never forget that thoughts work out actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form character, right? So, nevertheless, your thoughts work out actions. Those actions done repeatedly become habits, and habits form character. So, if, if we think about something, so if we're trying to overcome sin, and we're thinking, no, I shouldn't do this. No, I shouldn't get angry at this person. But he really is a jerk, but I really shouldn't do it. I shouldn't yell in his face, you know? But what am I thinking about? Yelling in his face, right? I mean, I'm just giving you an example. So, the thoughts will work out the actions. If you have these negative thoughts, you keep telling yourself, oh, don't have a cigarette, don't have a cigarette, don't have a cigarette. You're thinking about cigarettes, right? And thoughts work out actions. Repeated actions form habits and habits form character. So instead of thinking about it over and over again and telling yourself not to do it, we need to have our thoughts changed. We need to think on something better. Does this make sense? Yes or no? And God has given us something to think about. Right? 
Number one, He's given us the most beautiful thing in the universe, our Savior Jesus Christ. And the life that He lived, we can think on Him, what He has done, how He sacrificed Himself for us, and how did He Himself overcome. We see it in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus overcame through the promises that are found in the Word of God. We can bring to memory the promises that God has given to us, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. That God has given us promises to overcome. So when the temptation comes, we don't just try to put off the old lifestyle. We need our minds changed. And so instead of focusing on don't have a cigarette, don't look at pornography, don't yell at somebody, don't be angry, don't hold on to anger, if we keep telling ourselves that we're thinking about those things all the time. But if instead we think upon the Word of God and God says, I have given you power through promises... And it's not just a psychological trick. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives to enable us to overcome as we focus. So it is a human effort with divine power that we choose to do this. We're not saved by our effort. We're not saved by our goodness. No, but by choosing to direct our minds toward God, toward His Word, towards His promises, He comes in with His power. And so as He comes in, It's also this. It's not a magic trick either that just by quoting a promise verse that you will overcome. It's not a magic trick. It's not like abracadabra. You just say it and and it saves you. No. But it has to be according to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. It says it has to be mixed with faith in those who hear it. Promises without faith are just like, you know, trying to say some magic words. But when you mix those promises, believing that Jesus will fulfill His word, that is when the the power of the Holy Spirit gives victory. So the first part of the equation is put off the old lifestyle. And number two, it's to be changed in your mind. And what's the third part of the equation? Verse 24. And put on the new man. It talked about the first part was getting rid of the old man. Be changed in your mind. Put on the new man, the new lifestyle. And put on the new man, who in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So what does it say? It says, we now are made into a new man, a new creation, a new human being. As we focus on God, we focus on His Word, as we're changed in our mind, our brains are actually changed. Now, let's go back to the study. So the study was done. Actually, I'll get back to the study in just a moment. The Bible says almost something almost identical to what we saw in Ephesians chapter 4. This is almost word for word the same. Paul said this also. And he said, you're to put on the new man, which is renewed in what? Knowledge. The renewing takes place upon knowledge, and knowledge takes place in your mind. So the knowledge of what? It says, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So notice we become renewed in knowledge of the one who created us, Jesus Christ. So as we look to Him, as we focused on Him, as we, as we receive knowledge day after day through Bible study, through prayer, through Bible promises, we are changed into the image through the knowledge of Christ into His image, into His character. So once again, the equation is put off the old lifestyle, put on the new lifestyle, but how to do that? As we are changed in our minds through communicating with God, 
Now, coming back to our monkey study. So the researchers, what they did was, the researchers came to those monkeys, and remember, the monkey had the fingers sewn together. And the pointer finger and the middle finger, those things that were one, because they had been moving together, things that fired together, wired together. Just like your sin, if you've done them over and over, it becomes wired together in your brain, right? So you're stressed and you think, I need a cigarette, or whatever your temptation is. You get the idea. So, but can it be cured? So the researchers came and they took their scalpel or some kind of cutting device and they went and they cut the two fingers of the monkeys together. And as they cut the two fingers of the monkeys to, uh, apart, I should say, they cut them apart, what happened was those two fingers began to move independently again. And so what happened is as they scanned the brains, what they discovered that that which had become one went and it became two again. And so the researchers came up with another phrase. They said that those things that fire apart, wire apart. So think about this. This is good news. The brain can change. We think about this. What did it say? The text of Scripture says, put off the old man, put on the new man, and you have to be changed in your mind. Put off the old lifestyle, put on the new lifestyle, and you have to be changed in your mind to truly have a new life, right? To become a new creature, a new creation in, in Christ Jesus. And so what happens? So have you ever had it where you struggled with some temptation, you struggled with some sin over and over and over, and you wished that God would just take it away from you? Like, why don't you just take this from me? I struggle with this so much. And we think, man, maybe, maybe God could just, maybe he could just come in with a scalpel and he could just like cut that portion of my brain out. That would be better, right? We would like that. Like, oh, that would be so nice, huh? But here's the thing. God does something even better. He doesn't come into our lives with a scalpel and cut portions of our brain out. What he does is he comes in with a sword. He comes in with a sword, right? And what is that sword? The Bible says multiple times, whether it's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. God does not come with a scalpel to cut portions of our brain out. What He does is He comes in, he comes in with His sword of the Spirit. He comes in with the Word of God, and as we cling to that Word, it literally changes our brain. It literally changes our brain. Now, that doesn't mean the first time you claim the promise, the temptation never comes back. No. Just like sin and temptation, uh, the habit isn't you know, created within the first experience. It, it just initiates the experience. But then as we do it, it becomes more ingrained in us. So too with God's Word, that it is not one time saying a prayer, trusting God's promise, and bada bing, bada boom, it's done. No, it is, it is a part of life. It is something that day after day, as we yield to Him... And here's the thing, too. What if you had some temptation... Now, I'll, I'll, let me back up. You've probably heard the testimony. There's many times, you know, you hear like... An, uh, back in the States, we think of like an old sailor. You know, he comes and he, and he gives testi testifies at church. I was a sailor. I drank like a fish. I smoked like a chimney. I did drugs and I was sleeping around. And then I asked for Jesus, you know, to give me victory. And boom! It all went away. And you sit there and you think, man, I've prayed to God over and over, and He didn't take all my temptations away. You think, do I not have enough faith? But here's the thing. 
What that guy doesn't tell you is that there were other issues in his life that didn't just disappear with one prayer. Sometimes God does just take things away from us. But there are other issues. What if he did that every time? That, I mean, don't get me wrong, he can give you victory every time. That's not what I'm saying. But what if, every, you know, you just said, God, help me to never be tempted again. And then, bam, you never were tempted. Wouldn't that be great? It sounds great, but this is the thing. Would you need to pray much ever again if you prayed that one time and it was just done? How much, you, you'd be pretty good for the rest of your life, right? You're like, you wouldn't even need to think much about God because you already said the prayer, help me never to be tempted again, right? But instead, these temptations can actually, strangely enough, draw us nearer to Jesus Christ. That these difficulties can actually draw us into communion with our Heavenly Father, just like they did with Jesus. Jesus, when He was tempted... The three temptations in the wilderness, he clung to his Father. He clung to the Father's Word. Jesus, as he went to the cross, what did he do? He once again clung to his Father. His prayers were reaching out to the, to the Father. The seven statements he made on the cross, he was clinging to his Father. The temptations he went through actually drew him nearer to God. And so too, the same thing can happen with us. That we can be changed by the renewing of our minds, but this is not something that is done in one day. It is a growth process with our Savior Jesus Christ. And as the temptations come in, all of us have them. They can be a little different. One person may struggle with anger, another one with pornography, another one maybe more with greed, whatever it is. But each person has their own their own temptation. And even when it comes to, for instance, uh, you know, I've been all around the world with atheists and different people, and some people say, oh, religion's a crutch, you know, it's you know, for drug addicts and weak people and so forth. And I would agree, yeah, it is for weak people. Right? And every human being is weak. You say, but some people are really successful. They're not drug addicts on the street. They make a lot of money. They look good. They're pretty. All these things, and they seem to be fine. But I'll tell you what, there's an emptiness in every human heart apart from Jesus Christ. Every human being. Everybody is missing something without Jesus. And also, what people don't tell you is, you sometimes hear these stories of people, they were, they were an alcoholic and they gave up alcohol without God. But one thing you don't see is that as humans, we have the ability often to shift addiction. Like, often you'll see an alcoholic goes from an alcoholic to a smoking fiend. They're smoking like crazy. They don't drink alcohol anymore. Or they'll give that up and they'll become a caffeine addict. They'll drink coffee and they'll, I mean, they'll be shaken, but they're, they're drinking, but they don't, they don't do alcohol anymore. They don't even smoke anymore, but they're an addict to something else. But God doesn't want us to shift our addictions from one more hurtful addiction to one less hurtful. He wants us to find victory. To find absolute victory. God wants us to be able to have self-control, to be able to rule our own selves. We're told, we're told that the main object of true education is self, self, uh, what's the word? What's that? Yeah, self-governance. Thank you, thank you. Self-governance. That the main object of true education is self-governance, that you can actually, by the grace of God, control yourself. You can govern your life by the power of God, by the power of His Word, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the true object of, of education, of true education, by the way. So God wants to give us that victory. And as the temptations come in, 
we often are overcome by temptation because we are overcome of evil, meaning the thought, the evil thought comes in and we say, no, I shouldn't do it. Man, but I do enjoy it. No, but I shouldn't do it. It's not right. Oh, I know it makes me empty in the end, but, you know, it feels so good. And notice I'm thinking on the evil. I'm being overcome of evil. And God had an answer for that. Romans chapter 12, verse 21 says, Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. That is how we overcome. Do not be overcome of evil. Overcome evil with good. This is the reality. Now, a, a, a quick caveat here, actually just a total side note, a parentheses here, uh, not on this particular subject, but it is to a degree. Uh, we mentioned this week as we were looking about overconsumption of media, meaning overconsumption of video games, computer, uh, cell phones, constantly being on these things, we found researchers have done multiple studies, and what they've discovered is that overconsumption of media physically shrinks the frontal lobe. And the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. And so, you think about it, we have, by overconsumption of, of television, video games, phones, media, uh, social media, all of these things, by overconsumption of media, at least, at least for sure with the video games and overconsumption of other, some other forms of media, it actually physically shrinks the frontal lobe. So your spiritual portion of your brain is physically shrinking with overconsumption of this. Now, that's a heavy thought. And many times people say, oh, there's just nothing in church for my kid. Uh, you know, there's just nothing there for them. But the reality is, what do we see? Could it be that we're actually making it so that our child has less ability to be spiritual physically? It's physically harder for them to be spiritual because the spiritual portion of the brain is literally, it's, you can see it atrophy. You can see it literally shrink. So this afternoon, we're going to talk about science on how to actually literally reverse the shrinkage and actually have the frontal lobe get physically larger. We'll talk about that this afternoon. And, but notice what we see. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I want you to notice this quotation here from a book called Ministry of Healing. It says, the power of self-restraint strengthens by exercise. That which at first seems difficult, by constant repetition, grows what? Easy, until right thoughts and actions become habitual. That is so powerful. Read the first part again. The power of self-restraint strengthens by exercise. That which at first seems difficult, by constant repetition, grows easy. Could you imagine... If doing the right thing were easy for you, wouldn't that be nice? If doing the right thing that God wants you to do were actually easy for you? Now remember, true education's purpose is to teach you to be self-governing, not to be a parrot. You have parrots all over the place here. I've, you know, I've never seen so many parrots in my life as coming to Australia. And parrots have the ability. We went to, uh, we went to the koala some park here. It was super fun. They're the cutest little creatures in the world, right? Um, and yet, you also, we walked by the, um, the cockatoo. And they have this wonderful ability. You just say, hello, hello, hello. And what happens? The cockatoo said back, hello, right? They have the ability to parrot what you say. That's why we call it parroting, right? 
And much of modern education, I don't even know what education is like here in Australia, but in the States, much of education is teaching a child to be a parrot. You write out things and then you tell them to parrot back what the author said. They're not to think for themselves as to, was it true what the author said? They are taught to spit back what the author said because that's how you graduate. Yes or no? I mean, it may be different here. It'd be wonderful if it was. I don't know. But in America, it's not. And so we, we train parrots. But God is not... The purpose of true education is to teach self-governance. Some, someone that can be creative. Someone that can think for themselves. Someone that can, can, can maybe think of a new venture and then set forth to accomplish what their goal is. Right? And so God wants us to experience this. But at first, it's always hard. This says things are very difficult. Self-restraint is difficult in the beginning. And the devil knows what he likes to do is, so, so let's say you've been a smoker and you try to quit. And so you put down the cigarette. But, and this is what I did. I, I, I would literally crush my pack of cigarettes, drive down the road, and I'd throw it out the window. Now that's littering, and so you shouldn't do that, you know. But you're just doing anything to get rid of the cigarettes. But then inevitably, within like that day or the very next day, I would go buy another pack of cigarettes. I was trying to put off the old lifestyle, but my thoughts had not been changed, right? And so I did this over and over and over. And what the devil tries to get you to do is think, why even try? This is just who you are. Look at you. You, you faked it for a day. Good job. But it's who you are. So you begin to identify with your sin. Maybe, maybe something happened to you as a child. And then you begin to think your life is a certain way. And you begin to identify with that thing and it becomes who you are. And you think, this is just who I am. But the reality is, is that, so the devil comes and you try to quit and you fall back into it and you try to quit and you fall back into it. And it seems so difficult. And then the devil maybe makes you think, just give it up. Skip the whole religion thing or change your theology. You can still be religious, but change your theology and make sin okay. That's a way to kind of just step forward in your spiritual life. And, and you can just let go and say, you know what? No, God is fine with me living my lifestyle. He's cool with me destroying my body. Because He is very forgiving. Right? So we can change our theology because we don't like, you know, what the Bible actually says. But this is the reality. God, at first it is very difficult. And the devil knows if he can get you to stop at the be beginning, he's got you. Because he knows the power of self-restraint strengthens by exercise. That which at first seems difficult by constant repetition grows easy. Until right thoughts and actions become habitual. And I'm going to close with just a couple thoughts here. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, speaking of Christ, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. Many times we think, well, Jesus had it easy. He was God in the flesh. But he became a human and had to go through trials just like we do. It says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Jesus suffered to overcome temptation, and we too have to suffer to overcome temptation. It's difficult. So it says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the what? The will of God. So notice, Jesus suffered to overcome temptation. He was not overcome of evil, but he overcame evil with good, right? But it was suffering to get there. 
going to the cross for Jesus was not easy. He prayed, Father, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus suffered to overcome temptation eternally. And yet he brought our sins, the weight of our sins was upon him there as he walked, bruised and bleeding as our Savior to the cross of Calvary. What a beautiful Savior we have. It was not easy to go to that cross. He pleaded with his Father. He even said, as my guilt was resting upon him and crushing the life out of him, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was not forsaken for himself. He was forsaken for me and for you. Jesus went through this at the cross. But yet the devil tries to make us identify with our sin. Meaning, someone, someone, you know, they say, this is who I am. I was born this way. I was born this way. I cannot change. But here's the thing. Think about this very quickly. What if you were born a certain way? Research may seem to give evidence that if someone's great-grandpa was an alcoholic and their grandpa was an alcoholic and their dad was an alcoholic, that whether it's genetic or epigenetic, either one, or epigenetic, either one, that somehow there is, this, there is this natural force within their body that is leading them into a certain lifestyle. Yes or no? It's possible. And you know what? The Bible even talks about that. The Bible gives evidence that there are inherited tendencies toward sin. Yes or no? Yes. So, would we say then, well, if you inherited something or you were born a certain way, well, then just give up. Just accept it. That's just who you are. Identify with it and even be proud of it. Should we do that? That's not what the Scriptures reveal. The Scriptures tell us you can put off the old lifestyle, you can put on the new lifestyle, as Jesus, through the power of His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, change your mind. And you can become a new person. So instead of identifying with your sin, the devil tells you, look, this is what you are. You're just a lustful person. You struggle with pornography. This is who you are. You're just a greedy person. This is just who you are. You're an angry person. You're an unforgiving person. You are whatever. And he tries to get you to identify that and, and take it to heart and just accept it. But the text says that you put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the Im image of Him which created you. So we can instead of take the image that we were born with, and we can receive through the changing of our mind as we, we read God's Word, we can uh, rather identify instead of I am this, I am this, I am this, we can say as we look to Christ that we can become like Him. We can gain a new identity a new identity in Jesus Christ. You don't have to say, I am a lustful person. I am an angry person. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I'm a smoker. I am an angry person. I am whatever. We can look to Jesus, and as we look to Him, our mind, our thoughts are changed from the old way of life, and they are looking at the most beautiful picture that has ever existed, the life of our sweet Savior. And as we look to Him, we begin to put on a new life. We become new creatures. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Right? Therefore, the old things are passed away, but God makes us new in Jesus Christ. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us we can be made new. Friends, we do not have to identify with who we think we were born or even who we think we are right now. We can be, I mean, I think of my lifestyle right now. I, I grew up eating, you know, loved unclean meat. That was my favorite food in the world. I was a smoker. I was a heavy drinker. I loved some of the worst music in the world. All those things, that's who I was. And if you would have asked me, I would have said that's who I am. I would drive down the street with my father, and I was raised in a Christian home, not an Adventist home, but we would drive down the street listening to a song called Highway to Hell. And we would be singing it. And then we would go to church on Sunday. Literally, that was my lifestyle. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but that's the way I grew up. I still love my father. You know, we'll go see him after we're done in you know, New Zealand, after we go to, you know, after we finish here. We'll go back to the States and see him there. But the point is, the point is I, could, I could keep that and say, but this is my culture. This is my music. This is my food. This is who I am. This is who I am. But Jesus came to this world and he told us, I am. Jesus was something different. We can't become divine. That's not what I'm saying. But we can become something new in Jesus Christ. We can have the character of our beautiful Savior. When we, when we say, all right, I'm going to let go of who I am, and I'm going to allow Jesus to fill me and make me into who he created me to be. And isn't it interesting that within the context of becoming who He created you to be, He's not trying to get you to destroy who you are per se. Actually, He wants you, because you think right here, you think when you're living in this lifestyle of the food you want, the drinks you want, the music you want, the movies you want, the pornography you want, whatever it is, or the relationships you want, you think you are self-governing. But you know what? You're not. You are a slave right here. Does that make sense? You are an absolute abject slave, and you may make a million dollars a year, but you are a slave. But in Jesus Christ, He can set you free so that over here you can actually be self-governing and no more a slave to that which has held you back. Isn't that powerful? But the devil says, no, here's freedom, and he's lying to you the whole time. But in Jesus, we have a new identity, and that is an identity of strength and power. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, which is most important, and of a sound mind. Once again, God heals us in our minds. Isn't God's word beautiful? Jesus loves you with an everlasting love, and He wants you to, identify, you to identify with Christ, not with the old man. So, friends, I want to close just now. And I want to ask each one in this room, would you simply bow your heads with me now? And while all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, maybe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart. Maybe in some ways you began to identify with some sin in your life and thought, I cannot overcome this. Maybe there's someone who even thought, well, I should just accept it. Maybe even embrace what I think I was born or what I think I am. But now you realize that what you were, if it is contrary to the Word of God, is not freedom, that it is slavery. Jesus wants to set you free to give you true self-governance so that you can find freedom in Christ, that you can be a new woman, that you can be a new man, that you can be a new young person, be a new child in Jesus Christ. 
that we can be sons and daughters of God. Maybe there's someone who has been trapped and you want the victory through Jesus and so you want to spend time with Him daily. You want to even learn Bible promises that will help you to overcome and you say, Jesus, I want victory and I want to learn to identify with Jesus that I will become like Him and less like myself but become more like I should be and the greatest version of myself that I ever could be in Jesus Christ. Is there someone here who says, maybe in some ways I've been struggling with sin, but Jesus, I want to learn to identify with you. Would you simply raise your hand where you are while all heads are bowed and all eyes closed? Raise your hand where you are just now. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the pain. He did the harder thing and is set down at the right hand of the throne in the heavens. And Father, you told us this is almost too good to be true, that we someday can go sit on that throne also. We know we're not divine. We know we never become divine. But we can begin to so be identified with you that we come sit by the king of the universe. Father, we praise your holy name for your love. Draw us each nearer to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was made available by the Watara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit watarachurch.org.au. to healthy living around the world. I'm on site at Hergelia Lifestyle Center in Romania and my guest today is Karen Silva. Welcome Karen. Thank you Casey. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for um, this opportunity to speak with you. Now I understand that you are from Mexico but now you are all the way over here in Romania. Tell me, how did that come about? Well it's actually a very interesting story. I was studying in America mm-hmm. and one of my friends there told me that she was an English teacher here when she was younger. Okay. So she told me all about the place, she invited me to come over and here I am. Wow, okay. So you've been here for how long so far? This is my eighth month, I think. Very good. Now, it would seem natural for people here at this lifestyle center to have some uh, value of living a healthy lifestyle. Can you share how did you come to appreciate healthy living principles? Yes. Um, when I was 12 years old, mm-hmm. I decided to become vegetarian and eventually I became plant-based. Okay. Um, I also started to do more exercise and this had an amazing, amazing impact in my health. 
Mm. I lost around 22 kilos. Wow. I also stopped getting sick. I had a ton of energy. I was happier, in a better mood. And I just, after seeing all of these amazing changes, mm -hmm. I really realized the amazing things that the health message can do for you. Yes. So I decided, well, why don't I get educated in this? Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't, shouldn't I get farther training mm -hmm. so I can teach others to live in the same way? These principles have had a big impact on your life personally, haven't they? Yes. That's yes. amazing. You've obviously experienced a lot of benefits from this. What would you say is your most favorite healthy living sort of habit that you have in your life at the moment? I think exercising. It is exercise? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, because of uh, time, sometimes it's a little bit hard to squeeze exercise in my life, in my daily uh, routine. But when I do it, I just feel like I'm in such a good mood with a lot of energy. I feel happier, like I get more accomplished and yes. I just feel uh, rest better at the end of the day. Yes, that's um, a lot of good benefits there that you had. Yeah. Um, now, another question I have for you is how has living a healthier lifestyle impacted you spiritually? Wow, wow. Well, I think the most important change that I notice is a clearer mind. Okay. Yes. I noticed that after leaving um, refined sugars or too fatty things, I started to feel more aware. Mm -hmm. I was able to almost think faster. And okay. Also, it changed my mood. Mm. I started to feel happier, uh, more energetic also. And this affects the way in which I understand the scriptures mm -hmm. and I feel like I can listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit uh, better. Okay, right. So it's enabled you to be more able to comprehend spiritual things yes, and connect with God more? Exactly. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's a real help then for your spiritual life. Yes, so, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Now, what would you say to someone who is maybe contemplating making some lifestyle changes and maybe they, they're just looking into it or feeling the need to it. What words of maybe advice or suggestions or things that you've learned through your experience would you say to someone who is wanting to do that? Well, I would say do it for the right reason and okay. have a good motivation. Mm -hmm. A lot of people get into it because they want to look better or they want to... A certain piece of clothing to fit or look better and all of these things but um, this is not the right motivation because when you uh, don't see the results as fast you will give up or ah. you will stop and throw the towel how they say but if you do it because you want to serve God better because yes. you want to keep your body holy mm -hmm. for God because you want to have a good body to serve him better yes for selfless reasons mm -hmm. then you'll have the motivation to continue to it also something that I tell my loved ones a, um, a lot is do it for your family yes so you can be of have more energy for your children so you can have more energy for your husband mm. and all of these things I think are a great motivation. Right, so is this the kind of motivation that has helped sustain you in your journey of living a consistent healthy lifestyle? Yes, yes. I want to be a good example for my parents, for my brother, yes, and for my uncle, everybody in my family. 
Um, not all of them are vegetarian, not all okay. of them follow a healthy lifestyle. Mm. And at the beginning, they were a little worried about me. Karen, are you going to be okay? Are you going to have any deficiencies? <laughs> but I, after they saw the impact that it had for me and how happy I was, they yes. realized uh, that it was okay. And they started to make some of the changes, actually. Wow, that's yes. amazing. I know for a fact that motivation is one of the things that a lot of people struggle with in terms of making sustainable long-term lifestyle changes so that's very powerful what you shared well thank you so much for being with me today and sharing on this program my pleasure our guest today has been karen silva she's here in Ergelia lifestyle center as a student Um, and um, she's been sharing some of her perspective and experience with us for which we're very grateful We've been recording on site in Romania. I'm your host, Casey Butler, and thank you for tuning in to Healthy Living Around the World. God bless you. Martin Luther was ascending what's known as Pilate's Staircase on his knees when he came to the conclusion that a believer in Christ is saved by faith and not by works. And the Reformation began as a result. He realized how futile was his act of penance. Those same stairs are in the city of Rome today. But think with me. Pilate's staircase. Pilate was in Jerusalem, not Rome. But the story goes that they were brought from Jerusalem to Rome and now worshippers gathered there. Are they really the stairs Pilate walked on? No, they are not. Why do people think they are? because they were told that they are by church leaders, and they believe the tales that they were told. Sad but true, but there's a lot of tall tales polluting Christianity. No basis in the Bible, no more real than the Tooth Fairy or the Easter Bunny. And yet many people believe these stories as if they were true. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, Moses wrote, Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You know how it is said that if something sounds too good to be true, it's usually not true? The same goes for faith in Jesus. If something sounds too crazy to be true, it's more than likely not true. Yet people forward emails containing the craziest stories. People believe the unlikeliest and the untruest things. When if they let everything rest on the Bible, they wouldn't be deceived. Let the Bible be your final word. I've been told by some people, Just because it isn't in the Bible doesn't mean it didn't happen. Now, of course, you can say that that's true, but about logical things, not the illogical and nonsensical. God was clear. Let your faith be built on the solid word of God. When you make the Bible the standard for what you believe, you'll never go wrong. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.